Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Every believer needs to develop a prayer life. We need to know how to hear from God and, and speak to God in such a way. I mean, I think it's critical that every believer learn this. I think it's even more critical that every man that's leading a family, leading a household, that you be able to get a word from God when you guys are making decisions and they're looking to you to figure out what to do. You need to be able to hear from God. You don't just make your best call. You don't just do the thing that seems best. The Bible says don't lean to your own understanding. So in a time of making decisions, my understanding is irrelevant. God don't care. Scripture tells us it's not good for a man to lean on his understanding. As a leader of any kind, you must be willing to listen to the Lord. Today's message with Pastor Bill shares the importance of men in leadership over their house to lean on the Lord for wisdom and not their judgment. Also, women who minister to their children or younger women must give advice gained from the Lord and not what they believe is best. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 16 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. I do think that the most important thing when we prepare to come before the Lord is the condition of our hearts. Because you can dress up a sinner. You can put some slick alligator shoes and a slick suit on a brother that just slipped out the club or whatever. I mean, God's looking at our hearts, right? God says, I don't see as man sees. When they were looking to pick the next king of Israel and they brought all these people before David and, you know, Samuel said, is this the one? I mean, surely he's big, he's strong, he looks like the guy. And David, God told Samuel, he said, look, I don't, the Lord doesn't see as men sees. I'm not looking at the outward appearance. I look at hearts. Looking at hearts. I'm not worried about your clothes. I'm not worried about if you wear gaiters or Nikes, some bubble gums, whatever. You know, like he's looking at our hearts. How is my heart like when I come before the Lord? That's what I want to deal with. That's what pleases God, the heart that we come before him with. And so, again, it may be something that's a challenge for people to, to look at God's all of his rules and all the way that he wants it. But. If we're going to worship him for who he is and come before him in the way he wants, this is what he said. Now, at this point, they're offering the incense. Just wanted to point out a few things because I think they're important. Over in Revelation chapter five, verse eight, the incense. What's the incense of heaven? Anybody know? The prayers of the saints. Revelation chapter five, verse eight. The incense of heaven is the prayers of the saints. It's the fragrance. It's the aroma. It's the thing that smells good to God in heaven. Our prayers. And so as this was going to be offered up here, just a reminder to us that we ought to be people of prayer. One of the things purchased for us in the death of Jesus is the opportunity to pray. Every believer needs to develop a prayer life. We need to know how to hear from God and, and speak to God in such a way. I mean, I think it's critical that every believer learn this. I think it's even more critical that every man that's leading a family, leading a household, that you be able to get a word from God when you guys are making decisions and they're looking to you to figure out what to do. You need to be able to hear from God. You don't just make your best call. You don't just do the thing that seems best. The Bible says don't lean to your own understanding. So in a time of making decisions, my understanding is irrelevant. God don't care. He don't care how I see it, what looks best to me. That seems like the best way to go. God says, you better pray. You better seek me. You better know how to hear no and know how to hear go. And know how to hear yes and know how to hear peace and know how to hear lack of peace. Every man needs to know that. But you develop that as you pray, as you spend time with the Lord. You, you, you build that relationship up. And so, um, but God tells his people over and over again that we, he tells them to pray. If you're writing notes, uh, just a, a few verses that you could write down and you can go back and look at these things later. And I hope they'll encourage all of us to 
spend more time just with the Lord in prayer. Chapter 14, verse 14, Jesus told the disciples, if you ask anything in my name, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Obviously, these are prayers according to the will of God. These aren't just asking God to give me some snow. It's not a word of faith stuff, but God is saying, look, ask, ask me. Ask me for anything in my name. According to just the things that, that you ask in my name, God says, I, I want to give them to you. I want to do these things for you. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus spoke a parable to them, and he's sharing with them there not to lose heart. And he, he gives them this whole illustration here about people coming before him. And it talked about when you get down to verse 11, there was a Pharisee that prayed. And it says that he stood and he prayed with himself. And, he, you know, just think about that. If you're praying with yourself, God's, I'm not hearing you, right? There's a way to come before God that God says, I don't hear that. He's praying, but he just came before him. He said he prayed with himself and he thanked God that he wasn't like other men. But then there was a tax collector, a sinner standing by, said he would not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. And the God heard his prayer. In as much as we need to come before the Lord, we need to come before the Lord in the right condition. Right. We don't want to come in pride and arrogance before God. He doesn't want that. We, we learned that in the story right here. The, the Pharisee came and he said, he's just saying, God, I'm glad I'm not like this guy over here. You know, I'm glad I'm not like other men. I'm glad I'm better than everybody else. And God didn't hear none of that. So he prayed with himself. But the sinner there, the, the tax collector, which in their era, in their time, that was the worst sinner you could be was a tax collector, a publican. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God heard him. Uh, his prayer was received. It was heard before God. So we, we want to be people that pray. And obviously we want to be in the right place to come before the Lord and do that. Look at verses 14 through 19 now. It says, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his fingers on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his fingers seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood Inside the veil, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull. Sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. 17 through 19. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes to make atonement for the holy place until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. He shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it, and consecrate it. It is from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And so this is the whole procedure that they had to go through to present the animal and sacrifice it and, and do it in a way that, that honored God, do it in a way that, was, that God prescribed for them to do it. Blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. Um, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so every time we look at a, a scene in Scripture, Old Testament, where sin's being dealt with, it's just bloody. It's all blood. It's, it's, there's death everywhere. When you look at a person's life apart from Christ and they're just in their sin, there's death everywhere. That just death, dreams are dying, families are dying, people are dying. Sin does always bring forth death, no matter what it looks like on the surface. Many times it looks like people are getting along just great, but then death comes, then it happens. Then the wool's pulled out, then things are uncovered, then it's unveiled that it's not all what it seems. 
Sin brings death. Don't ever believe that it's not true. I always get upset when I see Christians looking at the world and wanting what they have as though what they have is better. They can present it as better all day. But I look at them stories that, that they don't want to publicize. I look at them stories that, that they don't want to glamorize. I look at what those people are doing. I mean, they made it. They're millionaires. They, they are, they're as successful as you can be. Why are they all on medication? Why are they all on drugs? Why are they all going to rehab? Why are they killing themselves? Why would a millionaire, if money would really bring happiness, why do millionaires kill themselves, right? Because over here, broke folk are looking at them saying, if I had a million dollars, I'd be really happy. I could buy whatever I want. I could do whatever I want. You just, just that's, what, that's what you think because you broke. But they got millions of dollars. They ain't happy. They're so unhappy that they like, I'd rather die than be here. Um, because why? Because sin brings death. When you got a million dollars, you can sin. They could do more than you could do. <laughs> they, the, the limitations on them are taken off. They could sin to no end. That's why some God keeps some of you broke. If you had 200 more dollars, you would kill yourself. Give me that back. <laughs> Flat tire. You know, you, you too much money in your pocket. You just start falling away from me. And that's that's God knows some of you. That's what happened. He said, you just you be holy or broke. You be you love Jesus more broke. I don't know who that fits on. But hey, I'd rather go to heaven broke than to hell rich because you don't really get to go to hell rich. You go to hell broke and people on earth fight over what you left behind. So but this is the thing I want to point out. When the high priest went in, it said that he had to go all by himself. How come? No one else was going with him. No one else. He'd have no helpers. All this blood sprinkling, all this animals, all this stuff. But God said, you go by yourself. All by yourself. Well, when Jesus went to die for you and me, anybody help him out? He was all by himself. We celebrated that on our, our Good Thursday on Friday service, right? When it came right down to it, he was all by himself. Just him. The disciples had got scared and ran off. The women were way back at a distance, but they could still see. But he was by himself, making more than atonement, washing away our sin, taking it in our, in our place, all by himself. He didn't have any assistance. He didn't have people helping him out. He didn't have Peter by his side saying, Lord, let me give you this to take away the pain from the cross. When they offered him stuff, he didn't take it all by himself. He took away our sins. And some of these are just little pictures, right? I, I love the parallels, you get to the book of Hebrews and it, it expounds so heavily upon the book of Leviticus. Everything that we look at Jesus doing or God doing in Leviticus, we get in, we get in Hebrews that Jesus was more. He was better. In Leviticus right here, we're looking at the sacrifices. In Hebrews, it says that Jesus was a better sacrifice. Why was he a better sacrifice? Because he washes away our sins forever, once and for all. This big event would happen this year and it has to happen again next year. And again next year and again next year. As we look at this in Leviticus, we look at the high priest and his job and how important it was and all the instructions given to him. And, and the big deal that it was to be the high priest and get to minister to the people in this way. When you get to Hebrews, it said Jesus was a better high priest. Why? Because he was holy all the time and he would never die. This high priest, even if he was really good, one day he's got to die and there'll be another one. And all the priests weren't good. That's how come Nadab and Abihu died because they weren't all good. They were men. And everywhere you got men, you got people jacking up, blowing it and, and misrepresenting the Lord. But over here, Jesus, he's a better high priest. He'll never sin. He'll never fall short. He'll never miss work. He'll never not atone. He'll never fall short of everything that we need in every situation all the time. He's a better high priest. He's a high priest forever. Right. His role as high priest is not going to come to an end. There won't come a point in your life where Jesus is no longer the one for you. It's for now and it's forever. The relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. Uh, look at verse 20 now. 
And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all the transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. So we've got the one goat that died. He's paying the price, paying the ultimate price. Now this goat here, they're laying their hands and they're confessing all the sins. You got to hear this. They're not just saying in general. They're not laying a hand on the goat saying, we just asked for all the sins of all the people. We've done lots of really, really bad things. It's specific. When you confess your sins to God, they need to be specific. When the Bible says confess your sins, you're not supposed to go to God, just forgive me for all the sins I did yesterday. That's not confessing your sins. That's not how it works. You go to the Lord, you say, God, forgive me yesterday when I know you convicted me not to do it and I told that lie anyway. God, forgive me for telling that lie. God, forgive me for stealing that item. Forgive me for doing that thing. Forgive me. You be very specific when you confess your sins. Confession is you break the word down. It's, it's two words. It's homo and logias. It's the same it's saying the same thing. When I confess my sins to God, I'm saying, God, I'm saying the same thing to you. I'm saying the same thing about my sin that you say about my sin. I'm not coming to God about lying and saying, God, I'm sorry that I, I told a little white lie. You know, no, God, I'm sorry that I lied. In our culture right now, they rename everything. Somebody's committing adultery. They say, I'm having an affair. An affair? That sounds like a fun thing. I'm going this weekend to an affair. That don't sound bad. But that's how we rename stuff. It don't sound so bad. No, you committed adultery. You need to say, God, I committed adultery. Don't say, you know, I'm struggling with a disease. No, you're an alcoholic. That's, we rename everything. You got crack habit, alcohol, you got a disease. It's not a disease. Cancer's a disease. Alcoholism is a sin. That means you drank one time and you couldn't stop. You got addicted to it. You're sinning. It's not a disease. It's a sin. We can rename all these things. God, help me with my disease. God ain't hearing that. God, I confess to you that I, I'm sinning against you in doing this. Forgive me, strengthen me, help me, deliver me, right? We got to confess to God in that way, saying the same thing that God's word says. We don't want to dumb down sin. We want to just call it what it is because God will hear you when you confess. That's the powerful thing. When you do confess and you do come truthfully, God hears you. And he says he forgives and he cleanses and he does want to show mercy. Um, here, they lay their hand on these goats. They confess everything. And on the scapegoat, they, it said they picked a suitable man and they sent him into the wilderness. Verse 22, the goat shall bear on itself their iniquities into an uninhabited land and he shall be, and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. So that goat runs free, carrying all their sins with him. I'm sure they hope they never see it again. What does the Bible say about our sins, right? Our sins are as far as the east is from the west. If God has said the north to the south, that means they're far, but they come back together again, right? But our sins are as far as the east is from the west, not coming back around. That's, that should bless you. Think of all your sins. Think of them right now. Just think of some of them, right? Just last month. Think of all your sins and that God says, look, I'm not going to die, get before God, and he's going to start running tape. Well, now, Bill, <laughs> I'm going to take you back to eighth grade. I'm going to take you back to, you know, that's not going to happen, right? My sins are washed away. I go free. Because of what Jesus has done for me. They're gone. This scapegoat runs and, and, and takes us in the way. It's a symbol of what God will do later for us. Look now, look at verse 23. 
Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take off the linen garment, which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. He shall wash his body with water in the holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering, the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who released the goat as a scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterwards, he may come into the camp. And we're going to see just a sequence here where people that have served in these different ways, they got to come get washed. Now they perform this duty. Now they got to get washed. They got to wash before they come before the Lord again. Verse 27, the bull of the sin offering and the goat that was for the sin offering, whose blood was brought to make atonement in the holy place shall be carried outside the camp. And they shall burn with fire the skins, the flesh and the offal. They take it outside the camp. These are the things that don't smell good when they burn. The fat smells good. Anybody make bacon? Anybody make, you know, you make a good steak. It just smells better if there's some fat on it. But the stuff that don't smell good is the skin, the flesh, and the offal. The offal is their, their waste. They take these things outside the camp, all the stinky stuff, and they burn it outside the camp where they ain't got to, you know, it's not going to contaminate them. Verse 28. Then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterwards, he may come into the camp. And so, again, these people that are serving after they have done their duty. And I'm sure if you took the offal and the flesh and you are probably not smelling real great. So God said that after you're done doing your duty, get washed and then come back before me. Come back with everybody else. Come into the camp. Verse 29. This shall be a statue forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all the sins, from all your sins before the Lord. Interesting here, all the other major feasts, everybody had to come to the tabernacle. They had to come to the place of meeting. This one was different. You didn't necessarily have to come. It's going to be a day where you acknowledge the day you afflict your soul, you're fasting. It's not a celebration. It's not a feast. It's not a day where you're going to get your grub on and celebrating. It was a somber kind of day. And they didn't necessarily have to go to where it was going, but they knew that it was happening. They knew that atonement was being made for them and they were to be in a place of just kind of solitude, that kind of a, a attitude. And so with all the other feasts, it all sounds like a celebration. Everybody's eating and celebrating and giving thanks and all these different things. Not this one. This one is somber. I mean, they're going to afflict your souls, right? This is not a day to be having a good time. This is a day to be reflecting on your sins and what's being done about them. So when we come to the table of communion for us, this is the cool thing. Do we got to afflict our souls? We actually get to celebrate, right? It's all been done for us. And so we take the cracker and it's representative of the broken body and we take the cup symbolic of the shed blood and, and we remember God says, take a moment and remember. In the same way that he tells them on this day where they're commemorating, you know, what God is taking care of for them, where they're dealing with, you know, the atonement of their sins at one time a year. Well, God gave some instruction about communion. God said, don't just come before communion any old kind of way. Did you guys know that? It's not communion is not for everybody. Guys, if you're a non-believer, don't take communion. Why not? Because you'll be eating and drinking damnation to yourself, right? It, it said if you eat and drink this in an unworthy manner, you're eating and drinking damnation. It does not mean that if you sin today, you can't have communion. Everybody here probably sins some kind of way today. Take a moment and say sorry. Take a moment and confess it. When it says taking it in an unworthy manner, this is it. If I've rejected Jesus, 
but I'm taking a cracker that's symbolic of his body and drinking juice that's symbolic of his blood and I'm consuming them in the mouth. I'm receiving the elements that represent him while I've rejected him in my heart. God said, you're eating and drinking damnation. The symbols that you're taking, you're saying that you understand my body was broken and my blood was shed and you still reject me. You'll pay for that when you die without me. It's so someone's not saved, I don't take communion. You're, just, you're storing up wrath. You're already going to burn. If you die like that, hell is already going to be bad. Don't add to it by consuming communion in that kind of condition. So it's not for everybody. Then he says, for those of us that are saved, so we do take communion. Yeah, we want to we wanna come before the Lord. We want to remember what he did. Um, we want it to be a time where we're remember, we're reflecting. This is his body broken for you. And this is his blood shed for you. And so we come in the way that God has prescribed uh, for communion. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. I just got to point out when it says a statute forever, how come we don't still do this today? All this ended when the veil was torn in the temple. This is for the Jewish people, the Israelites, and their covenant with God here. That ended when the veil was torn. We're not under this for today. We, we practice, we, we remember the Lord in the way that he prescribed for us, which is we take communion. Uh, verse 32, and the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on linen cloths and holy garments, linen clothes and ho the holy garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. And so this section ends with us learning that God laid this out. This would be for the children of Israel for their entire time. And they obey. They did the thing that God had prescribed for them to do. A couple things as we close. This is what can we walk away with for us today? Uh, just a couple things. One, as we look at how God is very specific about how people were to come before him. I would encourage everybody here. Whenever you gather with the body, prepare. Don't just go. Don't just show up. Don't be fighting all the way to church and just show up expecting, you know, Think about, I'm, I'm getting ready to go be with God's people. I'm going to go and, and be in God's presence where I mean, God's going to be in our midst. God's gonna, we're gathering his name. He'll be there in our midst. Prepare for that. That's a big deal. You're going to come to where God is. Now, God is everywhere. But when we gather together, God is there in a special way. He inhabits the praise of his people, the, the word says. So prepare. Confess any sin. Forgive any people. Make it right with the people you can get right with. Apologize or get right with people. Do that. And then spend some time just reflecting and meditating on this God's goodness that you come in in a right place. That it is important how we come before the Lord. Second, as we look at the work of the high priests, and it was very specific, it was very detailed, it was very important, it was very effective in what it did for us. That we would just remember, and we're going to remember it in communion, that Jesus is our high priest and what he's done for us. Very specific, what he came. He came to earth on purpose. He lived the life that he lived on purpose. He died on the cross on purpose that our sins could be washed away, that we could be cleansed. And if God did all that for you and me, he did all that so we could be right with him, to cleanse us, to forgive us, to help us to be in a right relationship with him. That should move the believer. That should be the reason why we obey, the reason why we serve, the reason why God just whatever you want for my life is I meditate on who you are and what you've done for me. 
that you have my life. It's not a burden for me to serve you when I look at what you did for me. It's not a burden for me to give when I look at how much you gave for me. It's not a burden on me to do anything when I reflect on how much you gave to make me right with you. You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. The book of Leviticus is full of relevant content that can still be applied to us today. Yes, even the Old Testament book that seems to just be full of rules and regulations. It's full of the grace of God. No matter how many times the Israelites seem to misunderstand or misjudge God, He still forgave them. He still gave them chance after chance and gave them what they needed. How many times in your life can you see that God has done the same for you? He gives grace even when we make mistakes. He gives grace even when we don't deserve it. He gives us chance after chance after chance. There is no one else like Him. If you're struggling with your own mistakes and are having a hard time accepting the grace of God, we'd love to connect and pray for you. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that number is 310-245-4811. And if you're ever in the Inglewood area, we want to meet you in person. Our service times are on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you're unable to visit in person, we stream our services online too. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit CalvaryInglewood.org. Again, that website was CalvaryInglewood.org. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Leviticus, and you won't want to miss it. Learn more next time right here on A Transforming Word.